This message is called One True Message, Two Destinies. And it's our privilege to know what God has said. And his word is holy and God's revealed the truth to us. So let's look at this overview here where we can see the context. Verse 17 was covered the last time I preached. That was a while ago. And let me read 17 and 18 in context. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. And we'll be talking about that. I have a slide that'll show the contrast. In the Greek, there's the, the word eloquent wisdom is really a word of wisdom or wisdom of word. And then there's this word of the cross. And so there's a contrast. I'll show you that. So in this sermon, we'll be contrasting two different responses to the word of the cross. And this is what's important. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And we'll be seeing that as we go forward. Let's go to the beginning of verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, 18a. By the way, CSB is Christian Standard Bible. And as I mentioned in Sunday school, I do all the exegetical preparation from the Greek. And then I, I notice a translation that really, I think, brings out best what's important in these verses. So the very first phrase here says, the word of the cross, the word of the cross. So this is a figure of speech called synodoki. Eric has mentioned that. It's actually a Greek word. It's transliterated in English. I don't know if it's in the Bible, but it's an actual Greek word. And what it means, and let me cite something from my notes, synodoki is when a part is used to represent the whole. In this case, this means everything involved in gospel proclamation, which includes the person and work of Christ, God's wrath against sin, Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, and the command to repent and turn to Christ. This message of a crucified Jewish Messiah offended everyone. That's what we're going to be seeing as we continue through 1 Corinthians. Paul uses a lot of irony. And it's pretty amazing that God has revealed and chosen a message that, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians, is something that the Jews weren't looking for, a crucified Messiah, and was not wise as far as the Greeks concerned, but to, to believers, it's the power of God. We'll talk about that. And this is essential. Really, it's essential. It isn't just seeing the word cross. It isn't going to the store and buying a piece of jewelry. It isn't necessarily how you decorate a building. It's a message about the crucified Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, who died for sins once for all, 
the just for the unjust in order to bring us to God. That's what must be the word that we preach. Now, this uh, refers back to this phrase, eloquent wisdom, as I translated it. That's on the slide. And this word logos, or logos, as we say in English, never seems wise. God doesn't have to do things our way. He does things in the way that he has determined and given us a way to come and believe in him through the word preached. Now, I made a slide that I hope here will give you a little bit of the what it looks like in the Greek. And I've included here the word order in the Greek of these two phrases. Wisdom, Sophia of Lagos, verse 17, means appealing, sophisticated oratory. Now, that was highly prized by the Greeks. We see that in Acts. I've been teaching in Acts in Sunday school, Acts 17. What's this guy have to say? Imagine that Mars Hill, Athens, brilliant philosophers, Stoics, Epicureans, the wisest people, the most eloquent people. And Paul comes and preaches the message that they don't want to hear. So it goes, Sophia of Logos, or Lagos, Lagos of the cross. So the reverse order. The word of the cross is not necessarily appealing. In fact, it never is. But it's utterly offensive and unappealing. Utterly offensive and unappealing. The Bible says, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Who would want to believe in a Savior who was mocked by the Jews and the Romans, rejected by his own people, scourged, humiliated, suffered a long, slow, miserable death, and we're supposed to believe in that. But it's the truth. Let me make a statement about this. In our title, we speak of one true message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and two destinies. Those who believe are saved. Those who reject this word, Lagos, which offends all, are facing God's wrath and eternal judgment. There's no way to remove the offense of the cross and still have the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves all who believe. When I first heard about the seeker movement, on the face of it, I thought, well, that's impossible. It's not possible to dress it up and make it look good so that everybody will love it because it already offends everybody. Just preach it for what it is. Who God is, what he said, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, tell people the truth. It's a basic obligation of every preacher. And those who see God are the ones that God touched by his grace, like the one thief on the cross who did believe. Now let's look at the next phrase in this passage, 1 Corinthians 1, 18b. is foolishness, now this word 
of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And that's the way it is. Now, it's interesting. I put this on the slide. The word for foolishness is moria. It's, it's got an omega. That's why I put a little underscore there. Would be a long O. Moria. And I looked it up. It's used five times in the entire New Testament, all in First Corinthians. So Paul uses this a lot. I mentioned earlier when I was talking about understanding First Corinthians. One of the things that Paul uses is irony. And so what we have to do is make sure we understand the ironic and the intention of the author. It is certainly ironic in a grand sense that the one message, the only message that will save anyone is considered moronic. Literally, that's where our word comes from. It's Maria. Moronic, folly, perishing, apolumi, means on the way to ruin. So I don't want to hear this, people say. Don't you have something better? Don't you have something that I like? Don't you have something that will make me feel good? Don't you have something that will solve my problems now? Many people told me I don't care about eternity I want my life to get better now. Mike Jinder mentioned that last week. I thought he did a great job. Better now doesn't help you on the day of judgment. The lost have an innate aversion to the gospel, the truth of the gospel. If you want to turn to this, John 3.19, I'll cite both of those, and then John 8.45, John 3.19, and then 8.45. By the way, there's another word that we'll run across as we go through 1 Corinthians. Maria up here is a noun. And then moros is the adjective version of it. That comes out four times in 1 Corinthians. And uh, as you're finding John 3.19, let me tell you what moros means. Silly, stupid, foolish, from which our English word Moron comes. So there it is. First time it's used will be in verse 25. Now, have you found John 3.19? I'll read it. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. John 3.19. Wow. So... Jesus is the light. Jesus is the pre-existent God, the Son, second person of the Trinity, who came into our world, according to John 1, and he is God the Son. And Jesus is the one who's coming into the world as the light of the world. He said, I'm the light of the world. But what happens? Everybody likes light, do they not? Well, in a moral sense, no. Because if you're living a wicked life, light is something that you run from. In general, the more hidden you are, the darker it is, you you like to do your deeds of darkness. So Jesus comes as light and calls people to himself. But it says they love darkness rather than light for their deeds are evil. 
We don't want to repent. We don't even want to admit we need forgiveness. So we won't listen to you. And then one more, I'll just read this. John eight forty five. Jesus said, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Why? Because they love the lie. So what's going to happen? If Jesus speaks the truth, and the reason they will not believe him is because he speaks the truth, how do you solve that? You don't. You speak the truth. But people who are deceived and want to be religious consumers keep looking until they find somewhere where they don't have to hear the truth which would be something other than the gospel. Let's look at the next phrase. But, in verse 18c, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. So, there are two groups, those who are being saved, those who are perishing. One group is on their way to ruin, the other are being saved. The word power, dunamis, you've probably heard that Greek word transliterated before, and it's used also in Romans 1.16. I'll just cite that to you, Romans 1.16. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Same idea. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so the great thing about the gospel, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter anything because we were all dead in Adam. In Adam, all die. Ephesians 2.1, you were dead. So the issue isn't anything but are you going to believe the gospel and be in Christ or remain dead in Adam? That's how it's laid out in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean there are no promises to the Jews in the future, but at that point, they'll believe those that that, uh, survive all of the things that happened during the tribulation. But right now, during this age, it's the power of God to everyone who believes. So don't be ashamed of the gospel. Proclaim it. The word of the gospel is true. It's power, not in necessarily signs and wonders, but this power is the ability of God to rescue lost sinners from God's wrath and an eternal destiny in hell. That's what we're rescued from. We're not rescued from a lack of money, necessarily. We're not rescued from a lack of purpose. We're not rescued from a lack of fun. We're rescued from a lack of uh, happiness, necessarily, in this world. I'm not trying to make life miserable for anybody. Uh, Life is miserable enough, but the gospel is here to save us. And if we're rescued by God's grace through the gospel... We have eternity with God and one another, and the redeemed, and we're saved. Now, let's look at verse 19. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Now, this is a citation of Isaiah 29:14 from the Greek. Notice I have LXX, that's Roman numerals. Many years ago, uh, a lady I, I knew for many decades who's now with the Lord, she said, why do you put LXX up there? What's that? The Greek Old Testament. And that's what Paul cited. Destroy, apolumi, was also used in verse 18. The shrewd and sophisticated plan how to succeed in this life, but will not escape future judgment. Let me mention something I'm so glad my gendron did last week. Can you imagine if you really believe the gospel, you're going to tell people your best life now? Would, would you do that? I'm glad Mike brought that up. That's, it's so offensive to suffering people. It's offensive to people who are elderly. It's offensive to people who believe Jesus Christ but suffer. I had a teacher in Bible college in the early 70s. Uh, someone somehow got into chapel that was teaching that. The, the message that Joel Osteen's father uh, taught, John Osteen, the word of faith message. And I had a class right after chapel. And in that class, one of my teachers, I, I can't remember which one. I think it was Reverend Snow. He said, that's not right. That's not right. He said, and this was a man who was very old. He's probably old as I am now. And he said, uh, I've seen so many dear saints who love the Lord, who serve, who give, and never had much of anything. And this guy tells us that they failed because they didn't say it right or they didn't do it right. So at least, I don't know who was in charge of the chapel, but one of the teachers said, no, that's not right. We don't believe that. And so we need to correct here. And I, I thank God I had someone teach me that did. The gospel is for anyone, whether you're young or old, strong or weak in this world, able or disabled, uh, sophisticated or ordinary. We're all dead in Christ. And we'll talk about this further in First Corinthians. But those who believe the truth have found the true power of God. They're no longer perishing, and they escape the wrath of God against sin. The shrewdness, I like that translation, of those who reject God's revealed plan of salvation through a crucified Jewish Messiah will be destroyed, apolumi, by God's future judgment. Let's go to some applications. Today we have to be a little quicker because there's a wedding at 
the preparations for which started new. And so I covered less verses. But we need to really focus on what is revealed here. God's wisdom is hidden from the wise, but revealed to unexpected people. That's the first point that we'll make from Matthew. And the universal call of the gospel stands. I'll show you that. Let's go to Matthew 11, 25 and 26. Matthew 11, 25 and 26. Let me give you the setting. In verses 20 through 24, Jesus pronounced woe to places where he went and did signs that demonstrated he's truly the promised one, the Messiah, the one prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. And uh, he pronounces woe because they wouldn't listen. Verse 21, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. So Jesus comes. He does many things to prove his identity as the promised one, the son of God, the Messiah. He did things that no one could do. He multiplied the bread. He walked on water. He predicted his own death, burial, resurrection, and then did so by God's grace. He was crucified, buried, raised on the third day. And the things that had done, been done up to this point, they said, get out of here. They chased, they chased out, of his, out of his hometown of Nazareth. He's, he read Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, in his hometown, in the synagogue, from a scroll. And when he was done, by the end of the narrative, they won't throw him off a cliff. So that's the woes. So the context then is culpability on the day of judgment for rejecting Christ. Culpability. Verse 25 and 26, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. So I chose this Christian Standard Bible. That's literal. Infants. It doesn't mean they actually understood it. It means these are unsophisticated people, not little, little baby in the crib. Infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. I hope you know God th- does things his way. His ways are right. His ways are wise. God reveals his truth. And it's his good pleasure to hide things from the wise and intelligent and reveal them to infants. The word hide there, crypto, is a word from this Isaiah 29:14, by the way, that we had just looked at. Uh, or in Paul's citation of it. And uh, crypto, Isaiah 29, 14, Paul had used set aside, but this is the same point. God's wisdom is the ultimate wisdom, but the world thinks it's silly, it's folly, it's moronic. No, no, no. That's all you have to say. Any evangelist will tell you 
that if you preach the truth, almost everybody will think it's foolish. But out of that group, somebody will know it's the power of God to salvation. How do we predict that? We don't. No one would have predicted. I would believe it. But God does what he does. Culpability for rejecting Christ. Good pleasure. Take note of that word. We'll be back to it. It comes up uh, in some other passages that we'll be covering. Good pleasure. Eudokia can be translated well-pleasing. It was used in Ephesians 1, 5, and 9, which I've preached on in the last couple of years. It was God's pleasure to adopt us as his sons and reveal the mystery of his will, meaning sons and daughters. Infants does not refer to chronological age, but to those who believe the truth and are his disciples. Infants. Fishermen. Tax gatherers. Rejects. How can God save me? I'm just a loser. Well, the irony is you don't have to be a winner to be saved. You need to know you're a dead sinner and only God could ever make you alive. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Who is it that will believe the truth and enter into his rest? Let's look at two more verses. Matthew eleven twenty eight, and Hebrews 4, 2 through 3. The reason I uh, want to emphasize this is to prove from Scripture that we don't have to be ashamed of anything. That last uh, verse I talked about, hidden these things, I'll never forget a day in class at seminary in the late 90s, sitting in Dr. Versaput's class, and at the beginning of the class, he said, this is going to be a different course for you. We're, we're actually going to study the Bible. And we're going to just go through a couple of Gospels, and we're going to go through it and read it and learn how to read to determine the meaning of the author. So we were on that verse. I thank thee, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent. So Dr. Versaput's there. The students are out here. The student says, that can't be right. Um, Dr. Versaput said, what do you mean? It can't be right. God doesn't hide anything from anybody. Well, okay. He said, read it again. You look down at whatever version you have and you read it. And he read it. It still said the same thing. So did Matthew intend to tell you that God doesn't hide anything from anybody? So that's not what it says. Why is it like that? Well, as you keep reading, and I'm going to do that in here, you find out what the fact is. That's the judgment of hardening. If God sends prophets, preachers, all the way through the Old Testament, then he sends his own sons. It's all in Matthew. And then they said, well, let's, let's kill the son and grab the inheritance. The hiddenness is the judgment of hardening. You won't listen to Moses. You won't listen to Jeremiah. You won't listen to Ezekiel. You won't listen to anybody. I'll send my own son. We won't listen to him. You're under the judgment of hardening. 
because you don't want to listen. But God reveals this to babes. God reveals it to babes. And some say, well, if that's true, then why preach the gospel? Because that's what God commanded us to do. And Jesus offers rest to any. How does somebody know they're an infant? Because the Holy Spirit convicts them. And you know what? In a second, when God convicts you, I have nothing. I cannot please God. I can't do enough works to make myself righteous. I've rejected him. I failed God. I'm a dead sinner. And the only way I'll ever know anything is if God helps me. I'm as helpless as an infant. And now I know I'm facing wrath. But Jesus said in the same context later, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What did that mean in that context? Well, it's pretty, if you read on, it's interesting. The next chapter, they accuse Jesus and his disciples of being Sabbath breakers. They believed if we work hard to keep Sabbath, that's an irony, isn't it? If we keep Sabbath diligently enough, then we'll be saved. So we see Jesus has come to me and I'll give you rest. And then the next chapter, where there's no chapter breaks in the Greek. Why are your disciples picking grain on Sabbath as they're traveling? And then Jesus had to debate them. They didn't want rest because they thought all they had to do was keep Sabbath better. But the rules were piled up so high. You, he said to them, you lay up burdens, Matthew 23. You lay, you, you, you lay up burdens on people. And you won't lift them with a finger. People love to be lawgivers. They love to be religious authorities. Do what I say and God will be happy with you. Oh, really? So you have to please man to be for God to save you? No, you have to believe the promises of the gospel. Jesus said this, come to me. Same word in the Greek was used for calling the disciples. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Same word. Now, all. So what's the requirement? Well, we're all dead sinners. You need to know that there's no possible rest other than the gift of God through messianic salvation. This is a call to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He was born of a virgin. He did live a sinless life. He did predict his own death on the cross. He did die before witnesses. He was buried. No one claimed they ever found the body after he was raised on the third day. The Roman soldiers took a bribe to lie about it, say the disciples stole the body, but there was no body. They knew there wasn't a body. So there was proof that this is all true. Everybody agreed that the tomb was empty. And when he appeared bodily, raised from the dead to his disciples, he commissioned them to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins, turn to Christ. He bodily ascended to heaven. Before witnesses, he promised to come again. And he offers forgiveness of sins to those who are the infants, the fools who don't 
have anything going for them but the hope of the gospel, faith in Jesus Christ, not what we do for him, but what he did for us. And we trust him. That's the gospel. You don't have to make yourself good enough because we're dead sinners, but we need Christ. Today, if you know that you're an infant on your own, you can't be sophisticated enough, you can't solve your own problems, you can't do what the religious authorities tell you to do well enough, but Christ can do for you what he promised, give you rest, and that means salvation in this context, come to Christ, turn to him, and avert the wrath of God against sin. One more proof of this, as we have a few minutes, Hebrews 4, 2, and 3a. I put this here to show that not only Matthew talks about rest in the context of Messianic salvation, it's also in Hebrews. What a fabulous book that is. Hebrews 4, 2, and 3a. And there there's a warning against apostasy, but this is what the author of Hebrews says. For indeed, we've had the good news preached to us just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest. And if you read Hebrews, you know he's talking about heavenly rest, not just your best life now. Just read Hebrews. We who have believed enter the rest. The key issue isn't piety, religiosity, holier-than-thou attitude. I'm a better Christian than you are. I'm not so bad. I come from the right background. I, I went on, uh, what's the, what do they think? The, they have a thing where they go back and figure out your ancestry. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but our son did it and said, well, European this and that and everything else, but... Well, that's all interesting, but is that going to save you? No. Because the gospel's for all. Genetics won't save you, but Christ will. If you believe in him and trust in him. For we have believed under that rest. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? If not today, believe in him Trust in him, and God will give you rest. And it's eternal. And it's his promise through the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your goodness and kindness, that you've shown mercy to undeserving sinners, that you sent your son to die for sins. And and Lord, today, perhaps someone will hear this, and realize that they have not entered that rest because they're still believing the wisdom of the world. Today, may some trust in you, turn to you, and enter that rest by your grace. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.